Welcome to the Craft to Career Podcast with Elizabeth Chapel, where every week we dive into how you can turn your craft into a successful career. Get ready to have the career you've always dreamed of. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Craft to Career Podcast. I am so excited for this milestone. It's just a kind of a reason to celebrate, which is why I'm excited to announce that I'm doing something that I've never done that's of a great value, and it's completely free for two of you listeners. So what I am going to do to celebrate the 100th episode I've realized that you listeners are most likely interested in turning your craft to a career. This is something that will benefit both a brand new entrepreneur, even down to the alumni, to anyone who's been in business forever. What this is to celebrate the 100th episode of the Craft a Career podcast, I will be offering two things for two different individuals. And all you need to do to qualify is leave a review for the podcast. I do recommend that you take a screenshot of your review so that I know that it's you. Sometimes it will say a weird name or I don't know exactly who it comes from when you leave a review. So what do you win? Let's get to the fun part. What you win is either the first person that I randomly draw is going to win a one free one hour coaching call with me where we sit down and chat about your business And we go through brainstorming, what can you do to move the needle, what's your niche, all of the things. It will be tailored to you, whatever you want to talk about. We will do that for free for one hour. The second winner will get a free month-long coaching mentorship with me. I've never offered this before. In the past, I've done a two-month mentorship, but it was paid. So this is one month where we will meet each week for one month, and we will not only have a coaching call, but we will move through the month with, let's try this. Okay, come back. Let's talk about it. Let's try this again. Let's tweak it this way. Let's do this. Whatever your business needs, we are going to look at it, and you'll have me for a month where we will meet for 45 minutes each week for a month and really get things moving with your business. So these are for two of you listeners. Now, this can even be if you're not in the quilting world, it can be any kind of business. I have helped coach people in different markets. Uh, Even if you are just thinking and dreaming of starting a business, this is applicable for for any, any business owner out there. So I am excited to offer this to celebrate the 100th episode of the Craft Agora podcast. And these will be private. It's not going to be for the podcast. It's just for you and me to have privately alone to help your business. So when does this need to be done by? This is rather quick. It's going to be this week. So Friday, March 24th, next Friday, I will be announcing who the winners are. So be sure to leave a review this week. If you've already left a review, you still are qualified. Just send me a DM with a screenshot of your review and you are qualified. So I cannot wait to announce. I cannot wait to see who applies. I cannot wait to work with two of you. And let's celebrate the 100th episode together. And now I'm excited to introduce you to this week's guest. 
It is Krista Watson of Krista Quilts. She is just such an example of someone in the industry who has made an amazing career with quilting. Again, where people feel like, but can I really? Yes, you can. And she has. Their entire family, her husband, quit his career. I'm not going to share too much more because we'll talk about it with Krista. And I'd love for you to hear it from her own mouth. But you can absolutely have a successful career in the quilting community. So let's learn more and let me introduce you to Krista. Well, Krista, thank you so much for being here today. I'm like super excited to pick your brain and hear all the things because you're kind of a big deal in the quilting world. So thank you for being here. I have a quick story really quick. A friend of mine one time, she had the the best t-shirt, which I wanted to buy. And it says, I'm kind of a big deal. And it's kind of funny because it was like, no, I'm, I'm not. But anyway, she had that shirt and I think it's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Well, you are. And I don't know if you remember this, but maybe you do. So when I had the subscription box, I yes. sent you one way back yes. in the day. Yes, and I, know. I saw you at Quilt Market, and you were like, "Hey, I got your box." And I, anyhow, so you remember? Well, that. we've okay. known each other for a while, and you know, it's funny because it's one of those things like we've known each other, but I had to go back and check like direct messages when we were like chatting with each other, and it was like, "Oh, that's right!" Like I know that I know you, and 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 I've seen you in all these different iterations. Yeah, with your box, and then now with the podcast, and then a side thing. I don't know if you want to talk about. You're really motivating me to get more fit. Anyway, and it's just been oh, yeah. really fun over the years to kind of get to know you better as both of our careers have been growing. So it's been a fun journey. Yeah. Well, okay. So speaking of, I would love to, when did you, I, I mean, your story in my mind begins where my story begins. Cause that's when I met you, but like, how did your whole quilting career start? So it's been a long process. It's like people have only seen me in maybe like the last five to 10 years when I've started like getting out there and being more public, but I've actually had a quilting business now for like over 25 years. And so it basically started back in like the mid to late nineties as like the poor college student. I just kind of fell into quilting uh, when some friends were making some charity quilts, they were tying them and inviting me over to help. And I had never seen a quilt before. I don't know how, cause I grew up, my mom was always a sewer, but she was never into quilting. And so I just like sat there and they had just put together these simple like nine patch patchwork quilts and they were just tying them with yarn. And I thought that was the most amazing thing, the touching the fabrics and the tactile nature of tying little knots in the yarn to keep the quilts together. I was like, this is amazing. And I just happened to be in school. My husband and I were both in business college at the time. And I knew I wanted to have a business. And I was always crafty and creative as a kid. But I nothing ever stuck. Like, I never knew what I wanted to do. I had, like, this craft and art that I wanted to pursue. But I was also going to school for business. And then once quilting entered my life, it, like, five minutes later was like, oh, how can I make a business of this? And it's taken me 25 years to figure that out. Okay, I feel like there's a major correlation here between this, like, you and I with this entrepreneurial thing and this creative thing, and then the quilting is what merged the two worlds. So what did that look like for you from this moment of tying quilts to like, ooh, this could be an idea? What did that journey look like? So really, that was back in the day, of course, before the internet. And 
I just, I knew it was amazing. And so I went to the library and, you know, cause that was the, that was our search engine at the time. You go to the library <laughs> and check things out. And I just checked out as many books as I could learn on quilting. And I remember just, you know, looking around and finding all the fabric stores and finding the guild. And once I'm very intentional, once I make a decision that I want to do something, I go all in. And so I just did everything that I could to learn how to quilt. And I just made as many quilts as I can. And I never really let anything stand in my way, like lack of skills or lack of, you know, equipment. I didn't worry about any of that. I just dove in and started making. And pretty soon, maybe within like a year or two after I made my first quilt, I dove into teaching. And then one thing led to another. I tried teaching and I tried doing local craft shows and selling at little local co-ops and basically everything related to quilting. I kind of threw it on the wall to see what would stick. And so on the one hand, it's been great because I've tried almost everything. But on the other hand, I ne it took a long time to get focused on what I wanted to do. And so that's why it's been a long journey. But I will tell you, the minute I started teaching, I loved teaching. Like I loved when I would see my students who were always older than me at the time because I started teaching in my 20s. Um, I loved the fact that they would get so excited when I would show them this thing. And so that to me was kind of a motivator. And I think maybe that's the underlying thing over the last 25 years is when I get when I get to see someone be excited about what I'm excited about, that really, that really builds me up. Yeah. And I can imagine too, just that aha, that reward for them, you know, seeing that unfold in front of you would be really Yeah, rewarding. exactly. So if you had to say what you are known for in the industry, what would you say? So what, I, what I'm most known for, I believe, is my machine quilting. So kind of just continuing with this journey. So I started teaching in the 90s. You know, I had a couple kids, took some time off in between then. And not long after, basically what I would do is I, would, I was teaching. And as I said, I was also selling my quilts, which, you know, there's lots of talk about that. Um, I realized soon on that, number one, I don't really like making quilts to other people's specifications. I like making what I like to make. And so the custom quilting thing didn't really, really go for me. I wasn't into that. But I had like all these leftovers. Like I started buying fabric wholesale to make quilts to sell. And I started having these leftovers. So I started selling the fabric. Um, I had a booth at this little shop in Vegas called the Quilted Bear. I don't even know it's a, if it's around anymore. But you would like rent off a little craft booth and you would put your items for sale. And so I started selling little leftovers, like a yard here, fat quarters there. And before I knew it, that kind of started taking off. I started selling more fabric than I did actual quilts in my booth. And so back then at the time, so I was teaching locally and I was selling, you know, my leftover fabrics. And one of my local students, she, this was somewhere around, I think, like 2002, 2003. And she told me, she's like, well, you should really sell your fabric online. Like that, that's a thing now, you know, because that's the Internet had started coming into its own. And I literally told her, she's like, you should sell your fabric online. And I said, no way. No one would ever buy fabric online because you can't touch it. And she literally had to work on me for weeks. She's like, no, 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 you really should sell your fabric online. So I got online, started selling fabric on eBay. And so it kind of took off with this idea of selling fabric online, teaching locally. And then fast forward a little bit to 2006, my husband, who had been working in a CPA firm at the time, he came to me and he said, you know, I've been working at this job for a while because like straight out of college, we both got jobs, um, you know, at, at account, different account, accounting firms. 
And after working for a while, he was just like, this is not my passion. This is like not exciting. I want to stay home and I want to do something, you know, I want to work from home. And at the time I had started my little online fabric business. And so I said, well, you know, I've got this little part-time thing. Do you think we could put our heads together and like turn this into something real? And so we kind of sat down, we crunched the numbers. We, we realized we could make it work. And so we opened up, um, we opened up an online fabric store that was like independent because back, back at that time, eBay was on the scene. Um, I don't think Etsy had really taken off yet. And so my husband, his hobby was computers. My hobby was art and craft. His hobby was computers. But somehow we both end up studying business, you know. So he he built us a website and we started selling things online. And that really started taking off because that was the early days. And we we were in this really wonderful period where I was making and he was, you know, getting our website up and going. And don't ever get comfortable. I will I will say this to your readers. Don't ever get comfortable in life. Don't ever say, oh, things are falling into place. Because the minute you do that, your whole world is going to be, you know, rocked. And basically, that was right before the financial crisis of 2008. We thought things are going great. So don't ever say that. So then for about the next four to five years, it took us a long time to kind of recover from that. Because, you know, things just, things fell apart. And I don't really know how it did. But but our, our website that had been really, really strong for about a year it just it just wasn't working. And so we kind of struggled for the next four to five years. And during that time, I always make a joke. My business is called Krista Quilts, but I made the joke that Krista doesn't quilt because I had about a period of five years while we were struggling with our newly fledgling business that I wasn't quilting. So rather than throwing my efforts into doing something fun, I was kind of spinning my wheels. And so I call that kind of the fallow period. Um, and I like to tell that story because I'm successful now, but but everybody doesn't share their non-successful times as much as they share their successful times. So that all changed about 2008, so about 2000 or 2012. So for four years, 2008 to 2012, was a really, really difficult time in our business. We thought we would lose our business, whatever. Fortunately, we got through that. And then at that time, we kind of had a, my husband and I had kind of like a sit down, like, what do we really want to do? What do, what do we want to do with this business? So we'd been selling fabric online. And because I was spending so much time managing that, I wasn't quilting. And what I really wanted to do is what I do now. I wanted to design fabric. I wanted to write books. I wanted to, to take my teaching from the local level and start doing it at the national level because I was so inspired by all these other instructors that I would see in magazines, online, that were like traveling the world. And I wanted to do that. My kids were finally old enough that I could, you know, not have to be around them all the time. So about 2012, we decided, okay, let's kind of let's kind of refocus the business. My husband will take care of the online sales, which he does to this day. And then I will take care of the, you know, the designing, the teaching, the writing and that kind of thing. And the beautiful thing is that kind of really coalesced uh, with me hearing about the modern quilt movement, which, as many of you know, started around 2009. I didn't hear about it till about three years later. And then I saw that QuiltCon was coming. And I had never gone to a national show before. I had never entered my work in a national show. I just entered locally and I took a risk. I told my husband, I said, I think I really need to go to this quilt con. I don't know anybody. I'm going to travel by myself. I'm going to get a hotel. I'm going to stay by myself. But I feel called to go to this. And at the same time, I entered um, a quilt and I my one of my quilts hung in the very first quilt con, which is super exciting. And I went and that was a game changer because like I said, up until that time, I had always been teaching people that were older than me. You know, by the time 2013 came around, I was older than I was, you know, 10, 15 uh -huh. years ago. 
But it was still thrilling to go there and to see a little bit of a younger crowd. And for the first time, I started seeing people that were my age or maybe a little bit younger um, that were doing quilting as a full-time career. Now, just so you know, um, this is kind of going into a long story here, but growing up teaching ladies in my 20s and my 30s and getting all the magazines before I found quilting on the internet, before that became a thing, all I saw what was was in magazines. And what I saw in magazines were very traditional quilts and mostly women of a certain age, retirement age, doing quilting as a full-time job. I never saw younger quilters doing quilting as a full-time job, so I didn't think it was possible. I thought, oh, I can't do this until I pay my dues. I can't do this until I'm retired. I can't do this until my kids are out of the house, meaning nobody will take me seriously as a full-time maker or quilter or instructor until I'm of a certain age. And when I went to QuiltCon, and that was the first time that I saw that that wasn't the truth, you know, I saw reality that you could actually pursue your dreams. I came home on fire. And from the period from 2013 until my first book came out in 2015, I did more meaningful work than I had done in the, you know, 10 to 15 years prior. So anyway, wow. that, that really was a game changer for me. I, well, there's a lot here that I want to unpack. So first of all, I love the idea that just because you're not seeing it doesn't mean it can't happen. So I did, okay, so many things. I did not know 2009 is when like the modern quilt thing, because that's before I came in the scene around 2015, 16. So 2009 is when like the modern I think quilt that's when they founded it, because I, I Quilt Con and the Modern Quilt Guild, that's just been part of my heart and soul for so long, because um, I've gone to every show. And yeah, I, I think if I got my facts right, I think it was started in LA in 2009 by the LA Modern Quilt Guild. And then they coalesced and then put on QuiltCon, of course, for the first time in 2013. Then they, they skipped a year. Then they came back in 2015. And it's been going strong ever since. Very cool. And you had a quilt in the very first QuiltCon, right? Well, and I took a risk. I just It was just this very simple chevron design. And I thought I actually entered a couple quilts. Because I had entered quilts in my local quilt shows. That's not like my main part of my business. But I do like to exhibit my work. And I do like to enter my work into shows. And so that was very validating. So going there, uh, attending and being in that event was very validating for me. And I always talk to people now whenever I do talks and stuff. And I always try to tell people, don't be the one standing in your own way. Don't have all these preconceived notions. I don't know where they come from, Elizabeth. I really don't know. But we there's like lies that we tell ourselves. There's things that we make up. And like all we need is we need someone to hold our hand and say, it's okay. You have permission. So whenever I teach, and I don't even know if I answered your question. What am I known for? Mainly machine quilting. So when I teach my machine quilting classes, I'm a facilitator. I am there to tell people it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to do what you want to do. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I literally feel like that's my job is to dispel the lies. Oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I don't have the right machine. I don't have the right this, that, or the other. I'm like, no, 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 just dive in there and do it. And I think I feel so passionately about that because I was standing in my own way. So now I'm trying to train people, don't stand in your way. If you want to do something, whether it's quilting or business or, you know, getting healthy or whatever you want to do, you know, just give yourself permission. Or if you need someone else to give you permission, that's okay. I will be that person to give you permission and tell you it's okay to do it. <laughs> I love it. And we all need that sometimes, you know, all every single one of us, because no matter, I'm about to record a podcast episode where I talk about things that I've said in the past. And all of a sudden I'm like, shoot, I need someone else to step in and tell me like, it's okay. You can, you know, 
That's beautiful. And then I also wanted to touch on these four years-ish where your business was really, really hard because again, no one really, you know, we see the successes. We, yes. I'm having you on the podcast now because you're great, you know, like you're not on the podcast during the hard times. So four years, this was your bread and butter, you and your husband, this was the career. How did you survive? Why did you stick with it? Like, what would you say to someone how did you know that you should stick with it? Sometimes people do, sometimes people don't. Like, what can you speak to about well, that? Well, we, number one, we were very determined. And so during that time, we, we did odd jobs. I mean, he did some side gigs doing some computer programming. We pinched our pennies. We just really, we just really tightened our belts. And I, I don't get really too woo woo. And I'm very, I'm a religious person, but I don't really share that much in public. But we did. We turned to faith. We turned to prayers. We turned to family. Um, we did blow through savings at the time. We did have to borrow money through, from family. Family. We did whatever we could because at the end of the tunnel, we could see the light at the end of the tunnel. We knew that what we wanted to do was the right thing. We knew that what we wanted to do was successful. We just had to get through the hard period. And once we did get through the hard period, of course, now you look back and you say, oh, yes, yes, yes. But during the time, you don't know. You you, you know, you think, okay, am I going to be able to make the mortgage payment? And am I going to be able to pay the bills? Am I going to be able, you know, how many credit cards do I have? But we were just so determined that we knew things would turn around. And fortunately, they did. But at the same time, we didn't just sit back on our laurels. I mean, we really sat down and we strategized and we talked. And so just to kind of go into a little more detail. So basically what my husband does is he's so he sells stuff online. That's his part of the business. My part is the designing and the teaching and, and all that. And he got very he kind of niched down, if you will. I know you talk a lot about that. Um, rather than selling everything like all quilt supplies to all people and being like a full service shop, he decided, well, what if we just focus on pre-cuts rather than because before then online, we would have bolts and bolts of fabric and we'd cut it out. And that was a lot of labor. And so my husband thought, well, what if we just sell pre-cuts? Like, is there a market in that? And now there is because there's a lot of a lot of people that do that. So we sell everybody's pre-cuts. And then, you know, I, I design fabric, of course, and then I focus on just my stuff. But that's what he does. And just as a side note. He's, he's very much an introvert. He's very much behind the scenes. We go to quilt market together, but people don't see him. They see me because I'm out there sharing pictures. And he told me a long time ago, he's very, very supportive of what I do. But he's like, I'm not interested in the limelight. I don't want interviews. Like people have tried to interview, oh, the husband and wife team. And most people think it's just me, but it's really two of us. But he's like, nope, you go do your thing. He's like, let me put you on a pedestal. Let me make you look good. He's like, but just let me kind of be anonymous behind the scenes. And I said, that is perfectly fine. We've been married almost 30 years now. It works great for us. And I'm like, oh, so you'll do the hard work and I get to reap all the right? benefits. He's like, yes, I will do. <laughs> is it so, odd hearing this? I'm like, I have such an intrigue now to like talk to him and make him enjoy this conversation. Like, <laughs> oh, I know. He's like, he's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> he's like, I put up a booth for, you know, for QuiltCon. I was a vendor there this last time in uh, 2023, whatever year we're in. And he's like, hun, he, he told me, I took my daughter with me and she was like my, my right hand gal. He's like, thank you so much for not making me go with you. I said, no problem. <laughs> that is the secret. If you want to talk marriage, that is the secret to marriage success. Don't make them do what they don't want to do. Enjoy them for what they are good at and don't make them do what they don't want to do. And you will be happy. <laughs> I love it. So how did you get into fabric? design. Okay. So that's another fun, long circuitous story. So 2015, I write my first book. And again, because I don't do anything halfway that led to book two and three. So 2015, 2016, 2017, boom, 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 three books in a row. 
During that time, I was very strategic. I knew I wanted to be a Bernina ambassador because that's like my machine of choice. So I got in with them. I knew that I wanted to be a fabric designer. And, and specifically, the fun story about fabric design, once, once I had written my books, um, that kind of really got me on the map because that kind of gives you that street cred kind of, you know, thing. And so that was going really well. And then I got in with Bernina. And Bernina actually owns Benertex, which is the fabric company that I designed for. They also own a distributor company that sells like notions and supplies called Brewer. And I do have a lot of notions oh. with Brewer. And so I basically use those connections between the companies. But how fabric design came about, this is one of those really fun, like universe woo-woo stories. So it was 2015 or 2016. I went to this industry event that only happened one time. I think it was called SoPro. And um, people from all over the industry came in to talk about, you know, if you want to be a fabric designer, if you want to be a shop owner, if you want to be an author. And at the time, I was already established with my, my national teaching and my book. So, so I didn't really need the beginning business stuff, but I had had it on my bucket list to design fabric. And I put out a five-year plan. So this is 2016. And I thought, OK, my five-year plan, by 2021, I'm going to be a fabric designer. So I go to this event. People like Pat Sloan are there. Tula Pink is there. Allison Glass is there. And they are talking about one of four things. They are talking about fabric. And then there were three other uh, you know, tracks you could have done. So I did the fabric design one. And really, at the end of that meeting, at the end of the weekend, I thought, yes, I absolutely do want to be a fabric designer. This is like really excites me. So again, I thought, OK, so this is step one of my five-year plan. I'll go home. I'll figure out how to design fabric, blah, 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 blah. I must have put it out on the internet. I must have put pictures on Instagram or something. Hey, I'm at this conference. This is really fun. I'm learning about fabric design. I think I want to do it. So I put that out to the universe. Two days after I got home from this conference, two days later, out of the blue, I get a phone call from Benertex. Again, you know, they knew who I was because I was a Bernina ambassador. And they said, hey, we like your style. We see that you're an ambassador. You're into this modern thing. We have this kind of modern division called Contempo. Would you like to be a fabric designer? Two days after I decided I wanted to be a fabric designer, I get a phone call out of the blue. And so that's where I totally believe you put it out in the universe yep. and it's going to manifest somehow. And so I said yes. And then the second thing I said was, okay, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to need help. Because this was 2016. This was, you know, five years. This was, you know, four years and, you know, 363 days, you know, <laughs> yeah. ahead of schedule, you know, because I'm a very scheduled person. And so throughout the years, they have helped me, you know, they helped me with the technical stuff. Like I, I draw everything on paper. They put it into repeat in the computer and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it just, it came about. And I always, you know, I always think about like luck and hard work and how, how you get to where you need to be. And my definition of, um, what is it, if I say this correctly, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So I had prepared, I had, had talked to myself, I had done all this stuff, I'd gone to this conference, and then when this opportunity came up, I said yes. Had they called me a month prior to that, I probably would have said no. But because I had already decided this is what I want to do, then I said yes. And then it just, it all, you know, it all just kind of went downhill, uphill, whatever from there. And it's been a wonderful collaboration. So my first line came out in 2017. I just finished designing my ninth fabric collection. And as I kind of talked to you a little bit right before the call, so I went into it as a whirlwind. It's been great. I love designing fabric. But the thing that I missed out on is I didn't learn the technical skills of how to do it because it was all such a whirlwind. Like I said, it was five years ahead of schedule. And so they've been helping me for the last five years figure out like how to do the technical. And now I'm at the point where I'm ready to do more of it myself. So I've 
I've said that this is my year of education. I'm starting to take classes. I'm starting to learn about Illustrator and InDesign. Um, I do patterns as well, and I get help with that. So I'm thinking I need to join your pattern writing group, you know, because I need to, even though my career is successful now and established now, I'm missing a lot of stuff. I need to go back and I need to fill in the gaps. And so this whole whirlwind of like 25 years has been like, go, go, go here and go, go there and take all the opportunities you can. But maybe the pandemic kind of gave me a, a chance to step back and reevaluate. I love what I'm doing, but how can I take more ownership of the process? How can I put more of myself into the creativity? How can I not have to rely on other people's technical skills to get me where I want to go today? It's very cool how you've come about. I feel, I mean, I could be wrong, never say never, but I feel like your journey is probably going to look very unique from people who are starting off right now, because yes. I think right now they would expect somebody to, you know, you, you've got a really cool opportunity where they're helping you out, but I don't know that they would offer that now, you know, to I agree. people. I agree. And I, there's this kind of this thing that I've seen, cause I've kind of grown up in the quilting industry since I've been doing it for so long you know, full-time since 2006, but really I feel like I haven't, you know, 2013, 2014 is when I really feel like it started getting going. So it only feels like less than, what's that, eight or nine years where I've really been able to do what I want. And what I would say to people out there is it's been very much of a chaotic journey because it's been like, go left and go right and go up and go down. And it's been a fun ride, but it's taken a lot longer. I think had I made a strategic plan in the beginning and been very, well, I was intentional, but then things kept coming my way, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I was putting myself out there. I was, you know, going to quilt market so I could meet people in person. I was going to quilt con. I was spending my money and my time and I was investing in myself, but I just kind of, it was kind of fun journey to like go wherever the wind would take me. But, but what I was going to say is I could kind of get away with that. Now I think things have changed and I think you have to be more intentional. Um, back, you know, I didn't even get on Instagram till 2013. I didn't even join Facebook till 2014. And so I think now, unfortunately, or fortunately, social media plays such a big part or the online presence plays such a big part. Whereas when I did it, I don't think it was as big of a deal, you know? And so I think yeah. now not only do you have to be intentional, but you do have to do some of the things, you know, I've heard before, you know, you don't necessarily have to do all the social media, but you have to have a presence. You either have to be on Facebook or you have to be on Instagram or you have to have a blog or you have to have a website. You can't just sit back and wait to get discovered because there's so much noise out there. You have to put your best foot forward and you have to have some kind of presence so that when you do meet someone at a conference, you know, you have a place to point them. I mean, case in point, when I went to QuiltCon, I didn't even bring business cards. You know, people would ask me for my business card and I'm like, well, just look up Krista Quilts, you know, and you'll yep. find me. I'd give them a sticker, you know, because it's just, it's nowadays, it's just so different than it was when I first started out. And so that's why I have to go back and, you know, kudos to you and kudos to other people that are helping people make that journey in their business because I think because there's so much noise, you have to have a pathway. You need, if you don't know where to go yourself, you need someone like you, Elizabeth, that can hold your hand and say, oh, try this, do this, you know, or I'd mentioned, I'm, I just signed up for Bonnie Christine's immersion course, you know, somebody out there who has more experience than I do in specifically fabric design. And I was a little worried, like I'm taking her class and I want to take your class. And I was a little worried at first signing up for these classes because I thought, oh, well, this is like just for beginners. People are going to look at me and say, what are you doing in this class? But as I got into it, I realized, no, 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 there are people in all aspects, in all levels of success 
in the quilting industry, in the creative industry. And again, I have a lot of success, but I'm missing a lot of gaps. I'm missing the technical education. And other people may have the technical education and they be, may be an expert on Illustrator for 20 years, but they don't know how to get started or they don't have a blog. And so being like doing these online courses, getting myself involved in these communities, it's just so wonderful because you have such a breadth and depth of knowledge and different people are on different points in their journey. And even if people, you know, no two people are on the same journey and they're at different, you know, areas in their journey. And the beautiful thing about it is there's no one right way to do it. So there you go. That's true. <laughs> and I, well, I am really feeling the woo. Like it turns out, I guess I really do buy into all that, but putting it out in the universe, you know, and it, it worked out for you. Like I do, I do buy into that. And I, I have to address the fact that I notice with you, I, 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 okay, right. I work with a lot of people who are growing their business and I, I see all the different personality types, but you definitely are a go-getter. Have you been that way your whole life? Like kind of determined. Yes. yes. And I didn't realize it. So one of my early back when I was kind of really getting my, my national career um, going, I wrote a column for the National Quilting Association, which is really sad. They're no longer in business. I have a side joke that I've done things for all these companies that are now out of business. First time I ever wrote, um, I ever got a uh, pattern was in Quilty Magazine, Quilty Magazine with Mary Fonds. That's now out of business. I wrote four books with Martingale. They're now out of business. So I'm kind of a bad <laughs> luck child. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Bernina, better text, you guys are okay. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so that's my joke. I do these things for these companies, but it just ebbs and flows. But my whole point being, what was my whole point? Um, oh, yes, I am a go-getter, but I never, I never realized that was an advantage until I wrote this column for this uh, magazine. I was kind of unknown at the time. It was like 2013, 2014. And I applied to have a, a regular monthly column just talking about quilting tips in um, the, their journal. And when I interviewed with the lady, she's like, wow, I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. I love your go-getter attitude. And that was, so this was the first time that I had done something nationally. And it really dawned on me. I was like, oh, this is just me. Like, I didn't know there was anything special. I didn't know that I I was a, quote, go-getter. This is just me. And so once she put that in words, now I lean into it. Now I lean into yeah. it. You know, you want something done, I'm going to get it to you as soon as I can. You know, you want something done, I'm going to go all the way. And I can't not be me. And so I would say with that, you know, when people are figuring out their business, not everybody has to be a go-getter or gregarious like me, but whatever it is that is you, you know, lean into that best part of you, lean into that successful part of you. And so I do that. I make a joke out of it when I teach. I talk a million miles an hour. I'm very loud. I'm very gregarious when I teach. And so I try to be entertaining. So when I give a lecture, you know, I love it if people can laugh. I love it if people can smile because that's just my personality. And I don't, I don't know how to be anybody else. All I can do is be me. Which, have you ever, because I, oh, actually, even recently sometimes, which is embarrassing to admit, but sometimes I will look at other people who are doing really well, especially more at the beginning, especially with Instagram, they would do lives and they would hop on and be really peppy and funny and clever. And I was like, oh, I guess I better be that way too. And I'm not, you know, like I'm just, I'm me. And, but do you ever, have you ever found yourself? It doesn't sound like you do, but have you ever been like, maybe I should be a little more this Oh, all the time. Because you see, because we all have that. We all have that. We have that imposter syndrome. We have that, oh, this person, well, they're doing this and they're getting success because of ABC. So if I do ABC, 
But then, like you said, you have to stop back and say, no, wait a minute, that's not me. Like, I'm not a quiet person. And with uh-huh. you, Elizabeth, I love your podcast. I love your calm demeanor. You have a great voice. You know, you're very, you know, organized. Or if you're not, you you know how to get people to help you out. Like, I love all the podcasts where you talk about your team. And so, yeah, yeah, we all get that. I'm like, oh, well, if I was a little more this way and a little less this way. But then again, I have to go back and I have to say, you know what? Doing that is like trying to move mountains. Like that is not comfortable. I have to go with my comfort level. And kind of realizing that has given me a little bit of freedom. Because if I walk into a room and I'm teaching and I stumble over my words or I make a mistake, I just laugh it off. And I just say, you know what? Okay, we got that out of the way. You know, I don't have to make that mistake again. And so, you know, you just lean into it as all you can do. Yeah. Have you see, it's funny because when I first started, I thought I was a little more outgoing and funny and then having other people like, oh, you're very calm and this, it was a bit of a reality, like identity, like, oh my gosh, I'm not as fun as I thought I was. Like, (laughs) have you had any of that? Or are you like, no, I I knew who I was. No, you, I saw, oh my gosh, you were totally fun. I I was totally feeling the jealous vibes when you um, had everybody come to like art gallery and you put that on. Okay, here you go. I look at that and that intimidates the heck out of me. I'm like, I can never coordinate a group of people. I could go and I could be the speaker or I could go and I could be a keynote at an event, but to organize it myself. And that's what you did. You organized this trip. You got all these people together. You, you're you the head of your you know online courses that you teach. I'm like, I could never do that. You know, oh, if someone comes is, to me I feel very nice. Me, yeah, if they tell me, here, we want you to do this, I would I will do that. But being the head organizer that you are, that's a really good skill that you have. I mean, just putting your podcast together, you know, bootstrapping your career, everything that you're doing, coming up with your pattern writing course and your quilter scanning community, that to me is so impressive because I just feel like I would never have the skills to do that. But I appreciate that you do that. And that is you're really good at it. Well, I feel like I want to give you a hug. This is really sweet. We can chat every day. <laughs> I like hugs, this. Hugs all around. Love all around. Yes. Yeah. So I'm curious with your business, what is the biggest piece of the financial pie? What is your 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 main thing, if you will? Okay, so it's kind of there's lots of pies. <laughs> yeah. So the the online sales that my husband do, that's a big chunk of it. And then for what I do, the designing, the teaching, and the writing, the teaching is the biggest chunk of it because, and I realized that during the pandemic. So a little side note, it's always good to find out what you enjoy and what you don't. So I was out there teaching left and right. Then the pandemic hit, everything shut down. I tried the online teaching, did not like it because I cannot just stare into a screen. I have to have feedback. So I did not like the online teaching. Thank goodness I'm out there traveling and teaching more now. So for me, the biggest thing is teaching because while I'm teaching, then it gives me an opportunity um, to sell my stuff too, because of course I have my books and my patterns. And so I will, I'll kind of, I'll give a little insight here. So I was a vendor at QuiltCon, um, which I loved, which was a fabulous experience. It was very successful. I had my own booth. I know you were talking about it. You'll have a booth there in the future. Totally Uh worth doing. However, I looked at my numbers. I looked at the time. I looked at the effort that I put into it. And it was so good for me to have that experience because I realized I can make just as much or more teaching rather than vending because when I'm teaching they pay my expenses they pay my hotel I I bring things to sell to my students that's like a part of the class they buy my books they buy my fabric and whatnot during class and then again somebody else has organized it for me but when I had to organize and set up my booth myself 
oh my gosh, the logistics. And again, this goes back to like, this just dawned on me. That's right up your alley because you're an organizer. I am not an organizer. I'm a doer. And so, or I'm a, I'm a, a worker bee, I guess. I don't know. And so that was such a good experience for me to have because I wanted to try it out and see how much work it was for the payoff. So getting back to, yeah, so product sales, product sales are a big chunk. And then um, teaching is a big chunk. Lesser of a chunk, and what I'm focusing on this year is my patterns. So with all that, I was telling you my big long journey. I did books and I did fabric and I did all this. And again, with somebody else's help, patterns are, again, an individual standalone thing. And so I've been wanting to do patterns for the last 10 years, and I've only managed to get out about a dozen or so of my own standalone. I've done stuff, magazines, books, all that, but my own independent patterns. So that's my next area where I think there's a huge growth potential is in patterns, because the little bit of pattern selling that I do is very successful. And I thought, okay, what if I can double that? What if I can triple or quadruple that? So right now, pattern sales is one of my lowest areas of income just because I haven't focused on it. But now that the other areas are kind of being more stable, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm looking forward to in the future is really focusing on that. So again, that's why I'm so glad. I'm, I'm super excited. I'm going um, to take your class. What, September? Is that when you sign mm -hmm. up again? Yeah. So yeah. put me, you know, I'm going to be on the list doing that because Yay, I figured excited. that, you know, again, the gaps in my knowledge that I don't have, I would really like to put that into that effort. So, so just to recap, um, so product sales and teaching, those are my highest levels of income. And then right now, um, the pattern sales is my lowest. I also get a decent amount of royalties. So I have book, I have book royalties. I have fabric royalties. Um, I actually have royalties. I did a couple of curated thread collections with Aurafil. So that's been successful. I have a couple of craftsy classes that um, the last one I filmed was in 2017. I still get a good size of royalties. So maybe that would be three. So one pattern sales, or I mean product sales, number one. Um, teaching number two, royalties number three, and then pattern sales number four. Those are my four main areas of business and in that order. Does that make sense? I Yeah, I really admire too and want to highlight the fact that, well, it sounds like you've conquered one thing at a time. I feel like, yes. and even listening to you, I'm like, oh yeah, I should do that. Da, 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 da. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you're being very intentional. Like now that you've got these other things working and it's like rolling, then you can address the pattern sales. But it's one thing at a time. If you try to conquer it all, you'll do terrible at all of it, you know? I'm exactly. very curious about the products. What products you've created some yourself? Is that right? Well, so both of it. So this goes back to, so the product sales, that includes the pre-cuts that my husband sells online. And um, so that that's a good chunk. And then my product sales. So I'm sure people know this, but I'll just kind of I'll kind of recap. So when you're a fabric designer, you get royalties on the fabric that you create that gets sold. And most companies, I think, are this way where you don't get a royalty on how much is printed. You get a royalty on how much is sold. So if they print 3000 yards and they only sell 1000 yards um, and like 2000 yards has to go on clearance, you only get a royalty on that 1000 yards that sells. And so that that can be decent, but you have to you have to do a lot. Like you see some some designers out there that fabric is all they do. Well, they're releasing six collections a year because each collection is only going to have a lifespan. And so um, I talked to another fabric designer that told me, you know, I, I'm going to say something. Hopefully it's not too controversial. I hear I already love it. <laughs> I know. I hear a lot of talk that says, oh, there's too much fabric out there. There's too much fabric and we get lost. There's not too much fabric out there. Um, if there were too much fabric out there, then the market would self-correct. 
But the reason there's so much fabric out there is because there's so much demand for it. So there are fabric designers that are doing six to eight collections a year and being successful. I do one to two a year So because I'm doing all these other things. So anyway, so you get a royalty based on the amount that is sold. But then if you want to, you can purchase it wholesale and then you can also sell it. So I make more money selling my own fabric than I make in fabric royalties, if that makes sense. And so for me, the product sales is like I said, my husband does everybody else's pre-cuts only. I sell my own fabric on my website and when I travel and when I teach. And so together, the pre-cut sales that my husband does plus my fabric, you know, I've done, what, eight, nine collections now. That makes up a good chunk, you know, sizable income. Of course, you've got logistics. You have order fulfillment. You have inventory. So for some people, that may not be a viable option. For us, we have built our lifestyle around that, being able to manage the inventory. And that's just something, because that's kind of what we started with. We started with the fabric, if that makes sense. Well, and you were both CPAs, so you definitely have this, like, logistic, let's keep track of this, that, and that, which I'm very envious of. (laughs) Well, and I was, you know, part of me laments, like I put this thing out a couple weeks ago online. I was like, I really want to go back to art school or I really want to improve my art education. Because again, when I was younger, I loved art, but I was always told you have to do something practical. So I studied business. And so part of me like laments the fact that I didn't also study art. But then I look back and I say, no, my journey, I needed to study business because I needed to understand that part of it. And then my husband, I actually never became a CPA. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. But my husband was, and I call him a former CPA because he, he left that behind, you know, over 10 years ago. But with both of us having that business background, it's been very good for us. And so when we had that fallow time, you know, when we had the hard time, because we had that business background, we were able to crunch the numbers and realize, okay, our business is not, you know, bringing in enough money. Having that information at the time, we could project and we could, okay, this is what our shortfall is. How are we going to fix it? You know, savings, family, odd jobs, whatever. Whereas if we didn't have that background, if we didn't know our numbers, it, it probably would have sunk us. And so, you know, I look back and I say, no, it is good to have a business background because that has helped us with that part of it. Now what I need to focus on is, like I said, the technical technical aspects. I wish I had more of a marketing background. You know, that's where, that's kind of my, my weak area as well. But, you know, I just look back and I say, don't, you can't ever go back. You can't ever change things. All you can do is start from now. What are the skills that you have now? What are the desires that you have now? How can you start now and make tomorrow better? You know, don't look at yesterday. Look at tomorrow. What can I do today so that tomorrow's better? What can I do tomorrow so the next thing's better? And in that way, I try to be an optimist because at the end of the day, going back to this, yes, I'm a go-getter. I'm very driven. I don't accept no as an answer. I just, if I ever hear no, which I do here, I say, oh, okay. So now let me go to the next person who will say yes. I don't ever say, yep. oh, this one person told me no, and now my my career is over. I say, okay, well, that person said no. That's fine. Let me find somebody that will say yes. And that's kind of my philosophy, and that, that works for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you ever, I'm curious, this is me now projecting myself on you, but if someone (laughs) says no, it doesn't even hurt my feelings. It actually gives me a fire to like, I want them to want me down the road. Like I'm going to make myself so desirable that they will say yes down the road. Does that happen to you or is Oh, absolutely. It does hurt my feelings for five minutes, for five minutes, (laughs) maybe 10. And then I move on and I say, okay, now that will light a fire under my belly and now I'm going to prove them wrong. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that kind of, 
I guess I rub up against that. It's like, you, you, you tell me, you tell me no. Okay. Now I'm going to do it 10 times harder. And so, exactly. kinda, yeah, it does motivate me after, after the five minute cry, then I'm like, right. okay, now, now how am I going to do it better? <laughs> it is interesting how it motivates. And I'm not sure that it's like a healthy attribute, you know, what, whatever it motivates me. So it gets the job done. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, this is awesome. So if our listeners want to find you, where's the best place to find you? Just Krista Quilts with a C-H, um, C-H-R-I-S-T-A-Q-U-I-L-T-S. Though I do own domain names with misspellings because when, sorry, <laughs> nice. funny story I have to share. So my email, and I'll put this out there too. You guys can email me. You can find me Krista Quilts everywhere. My email is Krista at KristaQuilts.com. So my, my name appears twice. I will get people saying, dear Krista with a K. <laughs> Even though they got my email address right. So I own all the domain names with all the misspellings of my name. So you will find me even if you spell Krista incorrectly. But yeah, Krista quotes everywhere. And you know what? I'm an open book. If anybody wants advice or wants handholding or just needs a high five or a hug, I'm here for you. Nice. Well, so are you going to go to QuiltCon now or when will I see you in real life? Yes, again? yes, I will be. So I will be at Quilt Market in the fall because okay. I have a new line of fabric debuting then. I will be at QuiltCon next year. And the Modern Quilt Guild knows this. QuiltCon changed my life. I go I go to every single QuiltCon. I, I build my schedule, my teaching schedule around it. Sometimes I teach. Sometimes I volunteer. I just go to that show because it is so fun. It is unlike any other show. And even if you're not into Modern Quilts, the vibe and the community that, that is there is just amazing. So, yeah, I will see you either at Market or QuiltCon whenever, whenever you're going to head out there. It'll be awesome. Yeah, well, I'm in Houston, so I'll be here for sure. But I will say on the modern quilt thing, because I have some friends who are a bit older, more traditional, and they're like, oh, the modern quilt guild, I don't know that that's for me. I'm like, no, no, it is. Like, yes, there's some really funky stuff, but just the vibe, the connection. But there's also things that are surprisingly more traditional, if you will. So I feel like it's for everybody, but I agree. Me. There's something Maybe for I'm everyone. Biased. And you know what? Uh, I guess the last thing I'll end on, quilting, the reason, the number one reason I love quilting is there something for everyone, no matter your style, no matter your personal taste, no matter what, whatever motivates you there, you know, what do they say? You know, there's an app for that. There's a quilt for that. Whatever you like, there's a quilt for that. And you belong in the quilting community, whether you're a hobbyist, whether you want it to be your job, whether you just want to admire. I had ladies that I was friends with in my traditional quilt guild in Las Vegas some of them don't even quilt. They just go there for the community. So no matter what you like about quilting, there is room for you and there's something for everything. And something I for I love everyone. that. That is beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I love chatting. I'm already looking forward to seeing you and in person again. Anytime. My pleasure. Krista, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story, which is awesome and an inspiration. And you were just so sweet and kind. And I loved it. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. And I'm really excited to see you. I think it's going to be in the fall in Houston at Quilt Market. So thank you again for being here. If you do not follow Krista, go and take a look at her account on Instagram which is Krista Quilts, C-H-R-I-S-T-A Quilts. And be sure to check out the fabric she designs, her patterns, her notions, all the things. And thank you again, Krista, for being here, for sharing with us what is possible in this quilting industry. I love it. And next week, join me right here again on the Craft a Career podcast. I'll be announcing the winners. And I'm excited to have Maude of the Retro Quilter 
as a guest on the podcast. We'll see you next Friday. Until then, have a lovely week.